0: Welcome to Hope for Right Now, a Walking with Purpose podcast. Walking with Purpose is a Catholic women's apostolate that creates fresh and relevant Bible studies to lead women to personally know Christ through Scripture. Hi, I'm Lisa Brennickmeyer, and I'm joined by Laura Phelps. We are two friends passionate about unpacking God's Word and applying it to our everyday lives. Each week, we will step out of the discouragement the world provides by grabbing hold of the hope we find in God's Word. Never have we been more convinced of the importance of women being grounded in hope. No matter where you are in the spiritual journey, we pray you'll stick around because God has a word for your heart, and His word changes everything. So open your heart, open your Bible, and invite God in. Hello, and welcome back to the Hope for Right Now podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Brennick-Meyer. And I am your other host, Laura Phelps.
1: And what we're continuing to read in this first season are some passages from the book of John. We are doing the famous I am statements by Jesus. So today we are looking at the fifth I am statement that's found in John 14, verses six through seven. And this is where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Okay, so like always, We want to see how this impacts us personally. And so we're going to explore the way that Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life guides and enlightens us. So Jesus guides us to himself and to truth, and he enlightens us about God and about ourselves. So you know the drill. If you've got your Bibles and you can, open it on up to John 14.
0: And while you do that, Lisa, can you please give us some context for what we're going to read today? So sure. So Jesus is speaking these words at an incredibly sacred time. This is the night of the Last Supper. And just before in John 13, Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He's predicted Judas's betrayal. Judas has left. And Jesus has given his disciples a new commandment to love one another sacrificially. And he has predicted Peter's denial. So all those things have just happened in John 13. And the words that we're going to unpack today in John fourteen six are some of Jesus's final words before he and the disciples leave for the Garden of Gethsemane. So just work your imagination a little bit with me, and let's picture this, because the night feels weighty, it feels consecrated, it feels hallowed, and everyone senses that Jesus's words are especially important, and they were. And at the same time that they are absolutely paying attention to everything Jesus is saying, Jesus's actions have been so unexpected. So he humbly has done the most menial work of washing feet, which is totally inappropriate for a rabbi. And then Jesus's prediction of Peter's denial of him, that doesn't make any sense to Peter, who is sure that he would die for Jesus. So everything is feeling incredibly important, but at the same time, unsettling. So that is the atmosphere of John 14. And Jesus looks at his beloved disciples and he says in John 14, 1 through 6, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus is speaking directly to the unrest, to the fear, to the unsettledness that his disciples are feeling. And he's encouraging them to lift their eyes higher, to gain an eternal perspective, to focus on the greatest need of all which is to be able to find the way to the Father, to find the way to heaven. But there's also truth in this passage that applies not just to the big picture, but to all sorts of smaller day-to-day situations. You know, when I hear you talk about this, it totally
1: reminds me of a quote from the book, The Better Part, fabulous book by Father John Bartunek. And we, we actually used to use them way, way back in the day, in the beginnings of walking with purpose. And it, I have to tell you, it's such a beloved book. So I would love to share. It's a long quote, but I think it's worth reading the whole thing because it really pertains to what we're talking about today. So from the better part, quote, from ancient times, philosophers have summed up the human condition as a quest to answer three fundamental queries. What should I do? What can I know? What can I hope for? Jesus Christ answers them all not merely with doctrine, but with his very person. I am the way can translate into, what should you do? Follow me, do what I have done. I am the truth means, what can you know? You can know everything, if only you know me. Knowing me, you know the truth. You know the secret behind the workings of the whole universe and the yearnings of the human heart. I am the life means, what can you hope for? In me, through me, you can hope for and expect the fullness of life that you long for, even though you may not be able to put that longing into words. Christ is truly the living water that quenches every thirst. He is truly the light that scatters every kind of darkness. The quest of every man and woman to satisfy the heart's deepest needs is the quest to seek his face. And it leads either to Christ and the place he has prepared for us in heaven or to a dead end, end quote. I mean, come on, that's so fabulous. We're going to go ahead and put that in the show notes. I think it is worth reading over and over again.
0: Yeah, I I love that quote. I love Father John Bartunik and, and the whole book. And I just think he does such a great job of explaining John 14, 6 with that quote. And he started out by saying that ancient philosophers have been asking three specific questions since ancient times. What should I do? What can I know? What can I hope for? But they aren't just the questions of ancient philosophers. We also see in those three questions some foundational teachings of Judaism. And the truth is we want to know these same things today. Throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we read so many passages about the path or about the way that a person should follow, and this is represented by the question, what should I do? So we see this in Deuteronomy 5.32 when we read, you shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God has commanded you. And then again, Isaiah 30.21, we read, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. And then in Isaiah 35, 8, the prophet says, A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not pass over it. And there are more examples in the Old Testament as well. And what we see is that the Jews were taught a lot about the way. And as you read the Old Testament, you see that the way was the law. It was the commandments, the ordinances, the statutes. And Jesus looks at the disciples who are familiar with those teachings, and he says, I am the way. So to help us understand what he meant by that, think about a time when you needed directions to get somewhere, back in the olden days when we didn't have ways or any sort of GPS. So I've got a horrible sense of direction. And I can remember times when people would say things like, head north. And I'm like, right away you've lost me because I never know where north, south, east, or west is. But say they say, head north, then take the second right, go down three blocks, turn left, then get off of the roundabout, past the church, by which point. I was guaranteed to never get to the destination. But what a massive difference it would make if the person said, follow me, I'm gonna drive in front of you, or even better, come with me and I'm gonna take you there. Because in that moment, the person has become the way. And in that situation, I've been taken by the hand and I'm not being left alone to figure things out for myself. And that means I'm not gonna get lost because the person isn't just saying, that's the way he or she is being the way for me. And this makes me think about times when I've wanted to know exactly what God wants me to do. So I've been at a crossroads where I have to make a decision, and I can't see clearly which decision is the better one. I bet you've had similar experiences. We all have. And when I read that Jesus is the way, what that tells me is that sometimes the point isn't which decision I make. Because maybe in God's eyes, both of those choices are equally good. What he is actually most interested in is me following him, me drawing close to him in either one of those places. I really think that he's often less concerned with the actual decision and far more interested in who I am going to be in either of those situations. So am I going to follow him in my attitude and my actions and my thoughts? If I am following him as the way, then I can actually go to all sorts of different places with a variety of decisions, and I can still be within his will. So as we think about that, Laura, as you think about Jesus as the way, can you come up with a time in your life where you experienced Jesus personally being the way for you? Yeah. And can I just say,
1: everything you just said was so beautiful. And I love that you give the example of the person giving us the directions. But I can't stop laughing on the inside when you're like, I don't even know which is north because that is, that is so my situation. And I could even take it further. Like, I love having ways in the car to get me places, but I am so like, I don't know if it's OCD or anxiety or just crazy. But I also have such a bad sense of direction that I don't even trust ways. So I'll be driving. And if I don't recognize the road I'm on, like I start to panic. Like, what if I put instead of, you know, my church in the next town over, what if I put my daughter's place in Mississippi and I'm like halfway to Mississippi right now? Like it is such it's such a concern. So that's a great example of somebody actually becoming the way for you. And um, great, great question when has jesus been the way for me and it's a little complicated because today i would say that every single day in every moment i recognize that i am offered an opportunity and that's either to choose my way which i'm also tempted to do or to choose jesus who is the way but if i had to rewind like back to the beginning to a moment when i recognized that the paths and that is plural, the paths that I was choosing were not leading me to the good way, right? They weren't offering me the peace or the joy that I was longing for. I would say it would have to be when I made the decision, when the Holy Spirit nudged me really, but when I made the decision to be a good wife. And so I'm going to give a little a little backstory here. So back in the day, my fabulous husband, I mean, he truly is fabulous. Um, we hit a rough patch, as I think all marriages do. And You know, it was just a time where everything was tested. Everything was hard, everything. And we had no money to pretend otherwise, right? There was no shopping our way through our pain because there was no money to shop with. And, oh gosh, if you've ever been in this position, and um, certainly if you're in it now, you know that it is an incredibly frightening feeling when your bank account is empty. Like, it was really scary. I would, you know, look at my four kids or look at the rent due date on the calendar or the stacks of bills that were unopened, because honestly, why bother? And um, it's just really scary. So it it was a scary time. And at that time, I would have told you that it was our financial debt that wreaked havoc on our relationship. I would have blamed the financial situation. But honestly, Lisa, like looking back, I see clearly now it was not the financial debt that fractured us. It was our spiritual debt. And I'll be real specific. It was our lack of humility. You know, I think my husband's hit to the ego as provider of our family manifested itself as anger and a lack of patience, which is really tough when you've got four little kids around you. And my fear And disappointment, to be honest, my disappointment in the circumstance, which I'm sure was not helpful for my husband's ego, right? That manifested itself as resentment and the feeling that I was not safe and that I wasn't loved. And so I really believe that without humility to bring us together, we very much became separate, selfish islands. Until one day, and I don't know the day specifically, but I could tell you, I absolutely woke up one day agreeing with the lie that, you know what? I'm fine on my own, right? Like, I can take care of myself. And I even remember thinking, like, it won't even be that hard because at least no one would be letting me down, right? Because I wouldn't be relying on anyone ever again. And for the record, that's not really healthy thinking. That's not good for your marriage thinking. It was a terrible season in my life. Hands down, terrible season. And yet I am so grateful for it because I am one of those people. I need to take the wrong way in order to find the way. I needed that. And it was only after I had tried everything that I tried Jesus. And so what did that look like? That looked very simply like waking up every morning and giving him 15 minutes of my day. That was it, opening a devotional and just being with him and hearing his words. Jeremiah 6.16, I know you love that verse, Lisa. I do too. It says, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. And that's what I was doing. I was going back and I was asking the ancient paths, not the people around me, not the world around me, not the culture that was all too happy to encourage me to end things. And so what happened was I ended up trading my ways, which offered no rest, for his way, which is the good way. And I'll be honest, did it change my circumstances? No, not right away. But it did change my heart. And reflecting on his example It offered me new perspective in my situation, and I realized our lack of money, that was not the worst thing. Our lack of virtue was. Jesus humbled me. His example humbled me. You mentioned, Lisa, about him washing the feet in John 13, 15. He stoops down to wash the feet of his disciples, and in that verse 15, he says, For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. So things improved when I followed his example, right? The world offers us lots of ways, right? But Jesus, he is not one of many ways. He is the way.
0: Well, Laura, I just, I thank you so much for sharing so honestly, because so many of us have been in those situations, but what you're describing is the stuff that we just don't talk about. That we, we cover up and we don't want to bring those things to the light. And the truth of it is I'm sure I and all sorts of people who are listening right now love you the more and feel drawn to you more for your vulnerability and your honesty and your humility and sharing. And I just it just reminds me, and this is kind of off topic, but so often the stuff that we want to keep behind the counter because, I don't know, we're embarrassed or we're worried someone's going to think less of us. And so we put on this facade that we've totally got it together. When we share those things, people more often than not are more drawn to us because they relate to us because we've all we've all got those those similar struggles, and I so appreciate your your honesty and that's um, just one of the things I love most about you that and also that you make me laugh <laughs> but I do want to go back to Father John Bertunick's quote because we touched on the way, but there's more to it that's so rich, and he points out that. Next, Jesus says, I'm the truth. And what he's doing is he's answering the question, what can you know? By saying, you can know everything if only you know me. Knowing me, you know the truth. You know the secret behind the workings of the whole universe and the yearnings of the human heart. So what we're seeing there is that Jesus enlightens us on all counts, on things as big as what the universe is for, the overall story of our world, how it began, how it's going to end. And he reveals to us who God the Father is, because later in John 14, he tells Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And we see this too in Hebrews 1, 3, which says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So Jesus, the son, perfectly mirrors God the Father. But Jesus also sheds light on something that I think modern man desperately needs help with. And this is something in the past that most people just knew. It, it wasn't really something they wrestled with. And it's the question, who am I? It's the question of identity. And so that used to be answered just by stating your state in life or a role you held. You'd say, well, I'm a daughter, or I'm a wife, or I'm a mother. But that's no longer the case. And it's interesting, as I work with high school girls at our local Catholic school, this is the question they most often ask. How do I figure out who I am? And I love what St. John Paul had to say about this at the Angelus in 1996. And it's not just because he shared it on December 15th, which is my birthday, but it does make his words extra special to me because when he spoke them, I was actually pregnant with my third child, William, and I was living in Dusseldorf, Germany, and I was preparing to move to Guadalajara, Mexico. And this was a time in my life when everything felt so uncertain and I felt really vulnerable and just unsettled about where I was going, and the name of his teaching that day was Christ Reveals Man to Himself. And this is what he said. Unfortunately, sin has obscured our capacity to know and follow the light of truth. And indeed, as the Apostle Paul realized, it has exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Romans 1, 25. By the incarnation, the word of God came to bring full light to man. And in this regard, the Second Vatican Council says that it is only in the mystery of the word made flesh that the mystery of man truly becomes clear. That last line, it's only in the mystery of the word made flesh that the mystery of man truly becomes clear. That comes from the encyclical Gaudium et Spes, number 22. And what is St. John Paul saying here when he pulls out that quote and makes this overall point? He's saying that we will only know ourselves and find ourselves in God. He's saying that Jesus reveals us to ourselves. And if we don't go to him, the question of our identity will always be elusive. We'll be on a constant quest to figure it out, to define ourselves, to prove our worth. And I love what my friend Charity Hill shared at a Walking With Purpose Writers Workshop. And she said this, We know that Christ reveals man to himself and makes his calling clear. We know that it is only in light of the revelation of Christ that the mystery of man takes on light. No amount of history, archaeology, social research, surveys, medical data, or psychology can tell us who we are as Christ does. Amen.
1: Amen. My goodness. And I'm so grateful that you Have brought up this whole topic of identity because, good grief, if we don't get that right, like we don't get anything right. It's so, it's so important. It's so important. So, thank you for that. It all reminds me of the C.S. Lewis quote. He says, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy. I just think that's so true. You know, if we believe that God is our creator, right? if we believe that then we ought to be turning to him with all of our questions right everything our doubts our longings our dreams we are the creation of the creator we should turn back to him and i do believe that the more we know god it's true the better we know ourselves and this is why spending time in his word is so important right this is why studying scripture memorizing scripture it's what saved me honestly is just getting to know his voice and knowing his word because when I didn't know who I was, honestly, I lived for other people's approval, 100%. I lived for other people's approval. I was, you know, you know the song, looking for love in all the wrong places. That's what I was doing. I saw my accomplishments as a measure of my worth. So I was very um, focused on producing, right? And I, I put my hope in my circumstances, which not, not smart. And I defined myself, this is a big one, I defined myself by my failures, 100%. I was no greater than like my worst sin. And I needed to find myself in God. I think one of the most perfect examples we have of this is found in Luke chapter 15, and it's verses 11 through 32. And it's the parable of the prodigal son. It's a favorite of mine. I think we're all familiar with the story of the younger son that basically turns his back on his father, right? He demands his inheritance while his father is still living. And then he moves far away. He lives an incredibly sinful life. I think in scripture it says he was in loose living. And he goes and he spends every last dime. So now he's broke. And it's only when he hits rock bottom, scripture says it's when he came to himself. Like he had this moment when he came to himself, which in other words, what that means is it's when he came back to his senses, right? And it's in that moment that he decides he's going to go back home to his father. But what's so interesting about the story is it says that his plan was, and it says in scripture, uh, he was going to go to his father and say, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. But that's not what happens. That's not what happens with the father. Scripture says that, but while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran, and embraced him, and kissed him. I just love that. And I just want to kind of speak out there to anybody listening, anybody that feels that they are far away from God, or that they have run away from him, right? They've gone off to a distant land. And um, I just want you to know that no matter how far you are, he is watching, and he is waiting for you. Just like the father in this story, the prodigal son, it says he saw him from a distance. That means he was waiting. He was watching. He didn't forget about him because he was gone. He didn't give up hope on him because he had run away. No, your father is watching and waiting for you. And when he sees you, he is going to run to you. Why? Because you are his daughter. That's your identity. You're his daughter and he loves you. And there is nothing you can do to earn his love. My friends, you already have it. I remember so clearly in confession and a priest asked me, true story he asked me Laura when you had your babies what did they have to do for you to love them and i was like laughing thinking like oh typical you know question of a priest he doesn't have children you know i was like nothing and then he asked me why and i realized well just because they're mine right because they belong to me one of my very favorite verses hangs in my office right behind me and it's isaiah 43:1 and it's do not fear for i have redeemed you I have called you by name. You are mine. I need that reminder every single day. And I want to kind of point out there's a scene in The Chosen, which I'm willing to bet most of us have seen. If you have not seen it, it's, it's the scene where Jesus drives the demons out of Mary Magdalene. I think the episode is called Jesus Heals Mary. And it is such a powerful scene. And did we not all cry like the ugly cry at that moment when Jesus basically recites Isaiah 43 to her? And what does he do? He calls her by name. He says, Mary. And she drops what she was holding in her hand and turns around. And it is the most powerful, most beautiful moment. Because in that moment, he was calling out her identity. You know, there's a a really great phrase. And it says, Satan calls you by your sin, but God calls you by your name. And my friends, we have got to live out of this truth, out of this identity. We are God's beloved daughters. He made us. He loves us. And he wants to live with us for eternity, right? And that, that's the life he's talking about. When he says, I am the life, he's referring to the supernatural life. Jesus is the only path, the way to salvation, to the life of the world to come. And we were never meant to put our hope in ourselves or in our circumstances, but rather in a person, in the word made flesh, Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the
0: life. That was one of my favorite things I've ever watched on TV was that scene with Mary Magdalene. I just love it. Everybody, we should all just go back and rewatch it. And when I think about that, Laura, I think about all the detours in her life, all the you know, in the story. And of course, The Chosen's bringing in some, you know, some creative license. But in her early life, they have the scene where her father is speaking the words of Isaiah 43 over her. And then they're written and she keeps them with her. But she goes on all these detours. She loses her dad and she goes down all sorts of paths that are not, you know, not the ideal way to go. And I think that we've all got those detours in life, right, where we feel like, It's all just messed up because now here I am. Like just for example, this morning, I had a plan, I had a tight plan. I knew what I was going to be getting done today. I had everything scheduled down almost to the five minute mark. And I put everything in my car and my car door's locked. Like I don't even know how that happened because it just happened in spite of me. I wasn't holding my keys. I didn't touch anything. My car door's locked. And I realized inside my car was my keys, my computer, my, my everything. And I realized I couldn't even make a phone call because my phone was inside. I couldn't call AAA because my AAA card was inside my car. And so I was thinking, what am I going to do? And I decided I'm going to have to take a detour on my day and actually bike over to my mom and dad's house to borrow their telephone so that I could call for help for getting the keys out of my car. So my only way to do that was by biking. And um, this is a little aside, but I'm just going to share it. So, my bike. <laughs> I can't stop I know, Laura's laughing. already heard this story this morning. My bike had been altered by Leo for our daughter Charlotte's friend so that they could bike around the neighborhood, which meant that the seat was too low, which meant that my knees were up by my ears. But I don't know how to raise the seat on a bike. And also, it was stuck in the wrong gear. So, I could barely even get this bike to move. So, I'm biking to my parents' house with my knees just going crazy, and I'm having to walk my bike up even the tiny, tiniest inclines, you know, all so that I could simply get access to a phone to call and my whole day I could just watch everything unraveling. And we all have those little things in life that just kind of mess up what we want the day to go like. And then we've got the big things in life where we're like, this detour is going to absolutely mess up everything and I'm not going to be able to recover from it. And my life is going to be just a mess from it. You know, those detours. And I just want to encourage you that when we're following Jesus as the way, he already foresaw the thing that was going to get messed up in the day. He has already incorporated it into his overall plan for us. And we don't have to worry because he is still the one in control of all these things. And it just makes me think that as we endeavor this week to focus on Jesus the way, I want to encourage you, if you get a chance to listen to the song, The Detour by Sarah Kroger, because it's one of my absolute favorites. And it really talks about the key line in it is that the detour is the road. And it's just reminding us that all these things that we feel like this now is beyond repair. This is so ruined what I'm trying to do here. God is ahead of that. God is in the midst of the worst of circumstances and the smallest and dumbest of circumstances, which is me biking to my parents' house <laughs> unexpectedly this morning. He can work with any of those, any of those things if we decide we're just going to fix our eyes on him as the way, the truth, and the life. And so we've got some parting questions, some things you can chew on over the next week and journal about one focuses on Jesus is the way. So I want you to think about in what situation is Jesus asking you right now to follow his example? And then Jesus is the truth. So what is a concrete way you can learn a new truth about Jesus this week? And then lastly, Jesus is the life. And I want you to take some time with this journaling question, which might be a hard one for you, but it's this, what are you hoping for? because there's room. There's room in all of this to hope for things and to ask God for the desires of our heart as long as we just trust him on the way with the detours and the ways in which our deepest hopes and desires are being met by him just oftentimes in unexpected ways. So, I want to close us in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, you hold the answers to the deepest longings of our hearts. So, I just take a moment, Lord, and Reflect on the places where I've looked to have those longings satisfied that aren't you, the ways in which I've looked for answers to my longings in the wrong places. And I'm convicted by the fact that so often what I'm really seeking is comfort more than I'm seeking truth. So, Lord, help me to be open to you when you show me the way to go instead of insisting on my own way. Give me the humility to set down my preconceived notions of who you are. And what is true, so I can hear and I can accept your perspective. And I pray, Lord God, that you would replace my complacency in the ways that I just settle for being comfortable instead of truly living the life that I was created for. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray that you would help me to go to you with my heart's deepest longings, knowing that nothing is going to satisfy me like a relationship with you will. In the name of the Father. And the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope for Right Now, a walking with purpose podcast. We would love for you to subscribe, share today's episode with a friend, and leave a rate and review. And don't forget, subscribe to our weekly newsletter. This is where you'll get sneak peeks into new content, special events, and exclusive discounts sent directly to your inbox. Finally, we know how important it is to keep the conversation going. So we've created a private Facebook group exclusive to listeners like you. You can find the newsletter and Facebook details all in our show notes. It's our privilege to unpack God's word with you, and we can't wait to do it again next week. Until then, friends, don't forget to open your heart, open your Bible, and invite God in.